This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. I am your host, licensed marriage and family therapist, Katie Morton. And today's theme, if you don't know, we're doing themes now, just so that we can kind of group the questions together so you know which podcast to click on because it can be more applicable to what you you have questions about. And it also allows those of you with questions to get your questions answered because if yours is about depression and this week's is depression, you have a higher likelihood of getting your question picked. Now today's or this week's theme is all about the therapy process. I'm talking what to expect in therapy, uh, attachment, how does therapy end, what's the first appointment like, and all that good stuff. Now, today we have eight questions, um, and that's because, frankly, we have a lot of follow-ups. It was interesting. First of all, I love that you guys chat with each other below these and offer insights and your own experience. That's so wonderful. But a lot of them have comments after, like, follow-up questions. So without further ado, let's not waste any of your time. Let's get into it. Question number one says, hi, Katie. Can you ask your therapist to still see them every once in a while after therapy has ended? I'm 22 and have been seeing my psychologist off and on since I was 17, but since I've known my therapist for so long, I would miss her terribly if it terminated. Would it be weird or unusual to ask her to stay in touch? Not for therapy necessarily, but just because I value her opinion and want her to play some part in my life. Greetings from the Netherlands. In short, it's not weird. Every therapist kind of has their own rules about this. Now, I do want to be clear that if it comes to being friends or a romantic relationship, especially a romantic relationship, there are a lot of ethical and legal ramifications and protections in place for you as the patient, meaning that I as a therapist cannot engage in a romantic relationship with a patient for at least three years after seeing them. Now, I have to be honest, I wouldn't, I can't even ever, I mean, prior to Sean, imagine myself wanting to date a patient because the dynamic of the relationship is just so different, right? The the power structure's off. They don't know anything about me. I know everything about them. And thinking that that can transition healthfully into a relationship, I think is very bizarre from my perspective. But there are those protectants in place. Um, and when it comes to friendships, uh, depending on where you live and where you're licensed, I'm sure there are different ethical and legal boundaries. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I remember my law and ethics professor saying that you should just always wait the three years, no matter what, for any kind of relationship, just to protect yourself and your license, because we can lose our license if we do stuff like that. However, keeping in touch, like allowing your patients or your, let's say your past patients to email you and check in periodically or call and leave a voicemail, that's all up to you. 
as the therapist, right? So I think that in this case, in this particular case where she's asking about, like, can I just stay in touch? I don't want to see her for therapy again. Um, because also, sorry, side note, if you need a booster session, you want to see your therapist off and on, you could always do that unless they're not taking new patients or, um, you know, have moved or, or retired, things like that. But I mean, I almost always, unless there was some issue, meaning like a patient threatened me or they had, a, I don't even know, There's that's the only reason I've never allowed someone to come back was they threatened me. Um, <clears throat> however, there's never a problem with a patient coming back. I've had tons of patients be gone for a couple of years, then text or call or email and set up another appointment. So you can always go back. And I've been doing that since I was 15. You guys know I've been in and out of therapy since I was 15. And so if we need to go back for a booster session, that's completely fine and normal. So that's totally okay to ask. But in this particular case, when it comes to you know, uh, wanting to see your therapist, wanting to keep in touch, just ask them, see what they offer or what they allow like I said, everybody's going to be different. Every place, this is the Netherlands. I'm not sure what the law and ethics are behind this in your country because everyone's a little different. But because it's just keeping in touch every so often, um, I I don't see an issue with it. It's not weird. It's totally normal um, and understandable. And I honestly find that my patients who do want to keep in touch do so more at the beginning and then slowly titrate down until they, like I haven't heard from some of my patients in a long time Although some of them will pop up on social media and say something like, hey, so just wanted to say hi. Um, And that's wonderful. Uh, But, you know, it kind of goes down over time because, you know, you fully, you've graduated, like fly a little bird. Um, There was a comment on that says, as a follow-up, can a client and therapist become friends after ending therapy or is that weird? Again, going back to the ethics of it and um, it's not weird necessarily, but again, the dynamic of the relationship is just so different. I know that as patients, we can feel extremely close to our therapists. And as a therapist, I can tell you, I feel close to my patients, but it's just different, right? I don't tell them everything about me. They don't know anything about me and, and I'm the one that knows everything about them. So this like, again, that power structure is just off and it's just different. And so you definitely could. Um, but again, it would depend on what your therapist thinks is okay and if they'd allow it. I personally have never become friends with a patient. I don't have any colleagues who become friends with a patient or dated. Oh, I had one psychiatrist. I didn't work with him like he wasn't a colleague of mine necessarily, but I have worked, shared a couple of patients with him over the years. <clears throat> and oh God, this was probably like eight years ago. He started dating an ex-patient after those three years and they ended up getting married. And at the time, everybody was like, oh, it's kind of taboo, right? You're like, oh, that's weird. But they seem to be happy. They, they're still together as far as I know. He retired even because he was around that age. And yeah, I guess happily ever after. Um, but yeah, you totally could become friends with your therapist, but I personally wouldn't, would not. It just is not that's just not how the dynamic of it works. And I feel like that to me, like muddies the boundaries and it makes things weird in general for what I do for a living, if that makes sense. And now there's another follow-up says, hi, Katie, what about transitioning when moving? I'm thinking about moving states and I want to maintain a relationship with my current therapist, but want to be able to transition (coughs) into in-person if I move. Understandable. 
How do you handle that transition? I know my therapist will be completely supportive, but it's kind of an awkward conversation and I'm afraid she'll feel betrayed. I know this isn't true, but it's still something that I'm considering. I also already set up a phone meeting with a potential new therapist. After I did that, I felt like I put the cart before the horse and now I'm having major anxiety. Why do I feel the need to do this so soon? Okay, a couple things here. Now, if you're moving states, just so everybody knows, you can't take your therapist with you and see them in a different state because our licenses are state dependent. Now, I have a California license and I'm going to get my Texas license. So technically I could see people in both states, but because I live in Texas, I technically, it would be, I don't know, I'd have to look into the like the nitty gritty of it, but I'm not going to see anybody who lives in California anymore because I don't live there. Now, technically my license allows me, I could probably, because things are moving along, do telehealth and stuff like that, um, or, you know, the online therapy in California, because that's, I have that license. Um, but anyways, it's very state dependent. So if you are moving states, if your therapist does not have a license in that new state, you're going to have to transition. You're going to have to find someone new. And the transitions can vary. It's kind of in a way like a termination of therapy with one, but in a in like the slow kind of gradient of transition, like we're titrating down, meaning let's say we're seeing our therapist every week. Well, then we go to see them every other week and we see how we do, right? While we start seeing this other therapist. And then we go down to like once a month. If we're still doing well with this new therapist, we stop seeing that one. We continue on with a new one. Um, usually we'll sign releases so that your new therapist can talk to your old therapist so you don't have to like repeat everything and it kind of saves you some time. Um, so that's really how a transition works. As a therapist, I've had patients transition for tons of reasons. Uh, going away to college in a different state, uh, getting transferred for work, uh, going inpatient and then deciding to to like stay with that treatment team in that out, you know part of that Uh, treatment center. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons that we transition people over to someone else, or let's say they need a different specialty, right? Like I don't specialize in addiction, let's say. So I can find them an addiction specialist and transition them over. Now, um, it's not awkward. It's something that we're used to doing. I think the conversation with your therapist may feel awkward, but I I promise you, she's not going to take it personally. She's going to want to make it as easy for you as possible. And it's something that we've done thousands of times. So don't feel like it's going to be that she's going to take offense. Remember that our job is all about you, right? It's about you getting the help that you need in the best way that you can get it has nothing to do with us. And if a therapist ever makes something about them, they're not very good at their job, right? It's supposed to be all for you. So I think that the handling that transition is is really simple as a therapist. It's again, if you want me to talk to them, you have to have I have to have you sign a release. Um, then you know you can start, and you can either stop seeing me and start seeing them, or what I prefer to do is transition it out for a couple of months so that you don't. Let's say you don't hit it off with that new therapist. I don't want you to ever feel like you don't have support. So I always try to just kind of be there as my patient gets comfortable with the new one, if that makes sense. And um. The question about why did I feel the need to do this so soon? I think it's smart of you. It's very wise to set up your support before you move somewhere so that you're ready and you don't go without it. Um, I think it was just you helping future you out. I think that was really smart and really great. But I would talk to your therapist about the anxiety coming up and I'd be curious about that. Is it due to attachment? Um, I mean, moving is stressful and hard and transitions are difficult. So maybe it's that. 
Maybe it's just the fact that you are wanting to move states and all that comes up for you for that, you know, the grieving and the stress. I don't know. I'd be very curious about it instead of judgmental. It's okay. It's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. <clears throat> we just have to figure out where it's coming from so that we can better manage it, right? If we don't know where it's coming from, we'll just feel like shit forever and ever and nobody wants that. Now, there was another add-on to this and said, how should therapy be ended? I'm just curious. Can a therapist arrange virtual appointments and just not show? Is this okay? As I felt a bit lost when this happened, although I'm trying to rationalize that maybe it's because they couldn't help me anymore. Thank you. <clears throat> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When I read this question, first of all, let's get in. There's just a lot to unpack here. The first part, how should therapy be ended? It should be a slow transition. It should be a conversation where you, this is ideal where you think that you're, you've gotten what you need to get out of therapy and your therapist agrees you've gotten what you needed to get out of it. And you slowly titrate down your sessions, making sure you feel okay without them. Like, let's say you're going twice a week, then you go once a week, then you go every other week, and then you go once a month, and then we just stop, right? And we you can always call and go back, but that's kind of how it ends, making sure that you're okay at each step. That's ideally, and also during that time, we process the the change. We process through all or talk through all the stuff we've worked on, how far we've come, all that good stuff. <clears throat> and we have time to kind of work through it. That's how therapy ends. That's ideal. Now, to the second question, can a therapist arrange a virtual appointment and just not show? I mean, they can because we're forgetful. We're human too, right? Maybe we didn't put it in our calendar. Maybe we had a family emergency or whatever. That can happen. But is it okay? Not really. Um, again, we're human, so things are going to happen, but they should have reached out. They should have expressed something like, hey, I had a family emergency or, oh, I'm so sorry I forgot or, oh, I got sick or whatever. Um, and if they haven't, I would reach out to them and find out why, because that's not an ending of therapy. That's nothing. That's actually just uh, what we call patient abandonment. And we can lose our license for it. Um, so it's kind of important because we can't just drop people. Like that's that's not ethically or legally sound. It's something, again, that we can lose our license for. And so I would reach out and find out what happened, find out where they went. Um, <clears throat> it's not because they couldn't help you anymore. If they if they did feel that way, what they're required to do by law, at least in the states as a whole, is to offer you referrals, like four, I think it is, um, referrals of, of whatever you need. So if you need a higher level of care, they need to give you those. If you need a specialist, they need to give you those. If they can't help you anymore, right? I feel like this out of my scope of practice. You need X, Y, or Z, and I can't do that. Here are some people I think can. Again, we have to offer those referrals. It's Otherwise, again, it's patient abandonment. And another thing people don't realize is we actually have to make sure that those referrals, I, I think at least, I've always done this, and maybe this is more ethical than legal, but you have to make sure they're taking new patients. You can't just give someone a list of therapists. You, I personally try to find them people that I think are the best fit. Like if they really got on with me, 
then I try to find other therapists that are similar to me. And usually if you've been in an area long enough like me in Santa Monica slash LA, even kind of into the South Bay, I knew a lot of therapists in that area and psychiatrists and I could find one that I thought would fit for you and I would give you the best of the referrals I could, you know, figure out. So that's what we're bound to do. Um, so that's patient abandonment. It's not on you. It's on the therapist. So I would reach out um, and yeah, try to see someone else or try to figure out why they canceled or didn't show and what what the hell's going on because that's not normal. Okay. Now, the last add on this says how much of missing a therapist is normal after ending therapy. I think about her almost every day, especially when I'm feeling bad and I stalk her on social media. It is the same feeling that I have with my favorite person and it feels like an obsession. It kind of sounds like an obsession too. I spend a lot of time going to places in the town where I might bump into her just so I can see her. I feel trapped. Now, is it normal to miss a therapist when you first stop seeing them? Of course. They can play a big role in your life and they're like this like uh, silent cheerleader, you know, that we get to go see, we get to check in with and we feel heard and understood and actually seen, right? And that can be really powerful and really important not to mention incredibly healing. Take that person away. We can miss what they offered to us. So it's normal. I'd feel for like a couple of months, maybe. I don't like to put a time frame on something because it depends on how long we've been seeing them and how we were doing and if we terminated appropriately, meaning we didn't feel like we just couldn't go to therapy anymore. That can make things a little more complicated. But the stalking them on social media and the hoping to bump into them, this kind of smells a little bit like attachment to me. And I'd be very curious about that because the when you said it feels like an obsession, I'm curious what kind of role you see your therapist at, like what role they play. Are we thinking that they can be our best friend or are we thinking they're like a replacement for maybe a mom or dad who wasn't very good to us? Do we think that, you know, they can fix everything for us or we we think that they're perfect in every way and we want to emulate them? Like, where is this coming from and what is what's happening? My like therapist gut tells me that it probably has to do with attachment and it probably has to do with having your therapist kind of fill a a caretaker role that maybe you haven't had filled before. And so that's why we like want to bump into her and we want to see her and we're like, we miss her all the time because it was essentially like losing our mom or dad or something like that. That would be my guess, but you're going to have to be curious for it, for it, for yourself. And if you're able, I cannot encourage you to get into therapy enough to do some of that potentially trauma or inner child work to to heal that sad you that really misses this therapist because they had they filled that role that's what happened it's very normal um to have a therapist to feel like our therapist is that person who finally loves us and cares for us and it can be hard for us to put in boundaries and realize that they're a therapist they're not our parent or our best friend that can be really difficult, but that's something that we can suss out with another therapist. Um, I'd encourage you to find someone who either, you know, specializes in trauma or attachment. There's a lot of therapists, at least in LA, I had no trouble finding attachment-based therapists. So look that up, you know, ask them before you make an appointment if they specialize in that. I think that that would really benefit you. Now let's move on to question number two. And this question says, hi, Katie, you've been an absolute lifesaver. I mean that literally. So thank you. Of course, of course, I'm glad I could be here. Says, I'm not sure how to bring this up with my therapist, but I go through these phases of extreme attachment, like Googling her name and finding out as much as I can and just looking at pictures online because I, well, I don't really know why. I can't even describe my emotional state. I feel so afraid that she'll leave me because I'm so attached and that can't be healthy. Sometimes I'm completely fine and I'm able to regulate myself. For reference, I don't have a relationship with my biological family and I am diagnosed with bipolar OCD, and PTSD. 
I guess I want to know how much of this does she need to know? I'm able to respect any boundaries that she has in place, and she is okay with me emailing her in between sessions, but I limit myself to just one email because it feels like there's a monster inside of me that just wants to gobble up everything and take all of her time, focus, and attention. What should I do and what is wrong with me? Nothing is wrong with you. This is definitely an attachment response. And I'm curious, so you said bipolar, OCD, and PTSD. I'm very... I'm not your therapist, right? I'm not diagnosing you, but I'm very suspicious about these diagnoses because to me, this smells a little more like borderline personality disorder, or it could be part of like complex PTSD. Now, I don't know if you have a history of multiple traumas. Um, Again, like if you've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I would always trust that they were correct. But I have a lot of patients over the years who've been misdiagnosed with OCD and bipolar who are borderline, who have BPD, borderline personality disorder. So, I'd be very curious, but the fact that you don't have a relationship with your biological family is like, boom, red flag, right? When we struggle with a relationship with our our mother, father, you know, our biological family, usually the caretakers, it could be a grandma, an aunt, depending on, you know, the structure of your family, but usually it's a mother or father, right? If we don't have a relationship with the people who are supposed to care for us and help us grow and feel supported, right? If we don't have that relationship, then we can tr- we can really struggle to not put our therapist in that role. And the reason is, is because a therapist offers us the things that we needed that we never got, meaning consistency, support, guidance, um, validation, right? In a way without wanting to fill that role, because that's not a therapist's job, but without wanting to, we do fill a lot of those needs. And so it's very common as a patient to t- take our therapist and want to shove them into that like mom hole that's in our body that we have never filled, right? Because our mom maybe was emotionally abusive or neglectful or any number of things or our father, you know, and go either way. Um, and I think that this is why you're feeling this urge to like get her closer and do more. It's almost that in a way I visualize you just like wanting to grab her and and again, shove her into that mom hole, the missing hole from your biological family. You're wanting her to fill it. And the way that I would bring this up with her, it is very important that she knows about this because this is going to be one of the main cruxes of your work together. And if she doesn't know that attachment is something that's affecting you and your relationship with her, then she can't help you with it. And my guess would be this is going to involve a lot of inner child work, meaning getting in touch with that younger us, um, hearing what she or he has to say, and offering it the either words or actions that we needed, meaning words of validation or actions of support or taking care of like one of my patients, it was super healing for her just to like tend to a wound that she had because her mother was super neglectful. So like if she skinned her knee or you know, got a splinter in her finger, taking care of that was really key. And that was part of her inner child work because it was giving yourself the thing that your parent didn't. And so I really think that there's something in here for you. And again, the way that I would bring it up with your therapist is saying something to the effect of, you know, I always respect your boundaries when it comes to, you know, only emailing once and, and not reaching out too much between sessions and, you know, all of that stuff. But I find myself wanting to, I find myself really struggling. Um, you know, and I feel very attached and I'm just trying to navigate this because I think it probably is linked to my PTSD or you could even say, you know, I talked to this weird therapist on the internet and she wondered about borderline personality disorder. And have you thought about that? And so just mentioning to her, 
in that way, I think will elicit a good response, will allow you to start talking about it and understanding it. I mean, I have tons of patients over the years. You guys know, I, I used to see a ton of borderline patients. And one of the questions I would ask them every week is, how's, how's the borderline part going? Are you feeling like you, did you want to call me a lot? How are you doing with your friends and family? Have you been feeling you know, like your emotions are running you, uh, you know, asking about self-injury or just all the things that can come along with it. Um, just checking in. So then she can ask those questions and we can make sure you're doing okay. Okay. Now there was a comment on this says as an add-on, how would you bring this up with your therapist? And is it necessary? I feel like I just covered that said I had a therapist that I saw in high school and I just started seeing her again after four years. When we ended things last time, it was really difficult. And when she switched jobs from my high school and I didn't know where she moved to. So I panicked Googling her, looking through her family's Facebook, et cetera, until I finally found a picture of her. I eventually found out where she worked and now I'm seeing her again, which is good. But is it necessary to tell her about this panic? What if it makes her uncomfortable? Is it wrong to keep it from her? Is it unhealthy? What do I do if she wants to end therapy after that? Now, overall, I think any emotional response that we have in our life that feels a little overwhelming or embarrassing or anything like that is important to tell our therapist. Again, because they can't help us on things or help us with things they don't know about, right? We're not mind readers. Would that be helpful? Yes. Would that be too much? Also probably yes. But it is important to tell her. We don't have to tell her, oop, did you hear Sean sneeze? Sneeze heard around the world. Um, but if if we don't tell her, then she's not going to know that this is an issue. And it clearly is. And it's important to work on it because it's not so much about, I think the thing that's hard for people to understand is it's not so much about what's happening with your therapist. I know that sounds weird. And you're like, but it's happening with my th- therapist. And I'm like, I know it, but that is indicative of other things going on in your life, other issues. A therapist just is a safe space to kind of show all of our cards or all of our things we hide normally, right? We can feel somewhat neutral or safe with a therapist. And so all those things we normally keep from people come out. And I think letting her know at least Again, you don't have to tell her word for word like you did with me. You don't have to say you panicked and Googled her. You can just say that when she left last time, you were very concerned and you had to search through the internet to find out where she worked because you didn't want to stop seeing her. And you wonder if there's an attachment issue or something like that. That's how you can bring it up very casually, very calmly and sticking to the facts. We don't have to you know, give her all the details, but at least so she understands what's happening for you and what's coming up for you. Um, and she's not going to want to end therapy after that, but but it'll give her an, a better idea of what you would need to work on. Okay. Now there was another add-on. Like I said, this one has a ton of comments. It says, as another add-on, what do you do? Um, oh, what, what if you do this and you're in a smaller town and you knew your therapist in another capacity? So your friends on social media, you have more access to them and their profile, maybe knew them slightly before. This is a great question. And um, the truth about this is small towns kind of have not loopholes because it's not really a loophole. It's just like a caveat, meaning that a lot of what we call a dual relationship. Now, a dual relationship in therapy means that you see me as a therapist and then you also see me in some other capacity. Like, let's say we attend the same church or we go to the same yoga class or our kids go to the same school and we see each other at PTA things, you know. Those are two relationships, a dual relationship. Um, now, in bigger cities, we are supposed to, with as on the therapist side, we are supposed to take 
extra effort to ensure there are no uh, dual relationships. However, in smaller towns, it's harder to do that. And so it's not, it's not something that we are necessarily able to avoid. Let's say there's only one school or two schools and one's private, one's public. You, your kid's going to public school. You're not going to move them just because you you know, patients share the same or churches or a hairstyle. You know, there's going to be things that are going to overlap, but we should, as much as we can, avoid those. Now, um, that, I mean, I guess, again, just back onto the attachment, when it comes to the processing stuff, I feel like I've talked that through, but that it is an important thing to note that when you are in a smaller town, there are certain things that are going to be kind of overlooked or okayed that normally wouldn't be. Does that make sense? Um, but they should still be avoided as much as possible. And if you are still seeing them, like they, it's on the therapist to like not show up at that barbecue because they know you're going to be there or to uh, like one of a person in my uh, class was sharing. This is like when I was in school for to become a therapist, they were sharing how their therapist would go to a different, there were two services at their local church. The therapist would ask her which one she was going to go to and she would go to the other one just to avoid it um, because it makes it better for you. And so those are the things that we should really do. <clears throat> but again, if you find yourself like stalking your therapist or wanting to know more about them, wanting to see them more, wanting to have more access and looking on their social media, it's important you let them know about this because it's kind of, it's honestly a huge part of what you should work on together. Now, another one says, as an add-on, I go through phases in which I Google my therapist too kind of excessively. While one part of me wants to stop and not find out anything at all, the other is much in that zone of excessive researching and I'm not able to stop. I know why I don't want to find personal information about her, but I don't know why I feel this intense feeling of self-hatred and guilt when my mind clears up again and I'm able to stop. I feel so disgusted with her and myself, almost needing to throw up. Also, always feeling... Um, the need to hurt myself then because I was bad to her. It's not really possible to Google her and stay the person I was before. It always shifts. Why is this happening? She said me looking her up is fine for her because it's her responsibility what I can and can't find. Good therapist, yes. But I don't like this behavior and I certainly don't like what I'm going into after I've done it. That's the interesting part, right? Why can't I just be normal and move on? Oh, and, and move on then. I always fear that she's going to hate me and leave me now that I've crossed that line. Same as with the emails because I send so many of them and I often can't control myself. Why do I do this? How can I make it stop? And why do I feel as if I was the most terrible person afterwards and feeling the need to punish myself in ways um, she'd never be okay with? She doesn't want that to happen, but I feel so much guilt and self-hatred. Help. Again, back to attachment and letting your therapist know what's happening in this aftermath, because it's really what happens after that I'm very interested in. I, I'm curious about uh, probably complex trauma. Uh, my gut goes towards like childhood, either physical or sexual abuse, because that self-hatred, that shame that you feel, and then the need to punish yourself. Uh, again, back to like that physical or sexual abuse, or I feel like there must have been something done to you to tell you that when you do something that you see as wrong or bad, that you can't you know, just try to learn and not do it again. You have to punish yourself. But I, you know, we'd have to dig into that. I'm very curious about that. And so I'd let your therapist know about what's coming up for you in the aftermath. Because it's like in the wake of you doing things that are very attachment-based again, like I was talking about earlier, that all applies here. Plus, we need to kind of understand why we feel this urge to hurt ourselves and like where that comes from. And has there ever been a time in the past when you would do something wrong and instead of you know, being able to understand it and, and try to do better next time you were like severely punished. 
I'm curious about that. And that's why I think it must have something to do with, you know, complex PTSD, maybe borderline personality disorder or something like that. Um, I would ask your therapist about it and and talk to her. And again, it's really important. She obviously already knows that you're wanting to search for her and you brought that up and that's okay. And like she said, it's her responsibility. However, it's this thing that goes on after. And so I would tell her, you know, how I brought up that I Google you sometimes. If I find myself wanting to do that or, you know, emailing a lot more than normal, Afterwards, I feel like I have to punish myself and I'm not really sure where that's coming from. It's okay to bring that up. It's okay to ask her. You don't have to have all the answers. That's why you're in therapy. Um, yeah, that that's really, hopefully that will help pull you out because I think we're just repeating an old pattern here and through processing, you know, the trauma, talking with a therapist about it, uh, maybe doing some EMDR, other things like that. I think we'll be able to pull ourselves out. But a lot of times we just have to understand where it's coming from and get some of that kind of validation because so often we can just tell ourselves, I'm just crazy, you know, I'm losing my mind. No, we don't know what to do with what we feel. And so we have to figure out a better way to cope with it, if that makes sense. Okay, we have a few more add-ons. I told you this is the, the question that keeps on giving. It says, I feel this so much. I feel really unhealthy. I've considered stopping seeing her because I must be some weird stalker. Is that the best thing to do? No. It, it's going to come up no matter what. I know we think it's very specific to this therapist because we think this therapist is perfect or we think that she's the best or he's the best or blah, blah, blah. Again, we're just repeating old patterns. This this attachment urge or this this need to know more about them is coming from somewhere deep. It's coming from something else. And this is just a safe place to like let it out. And so we have to let them know that this is happening and stopping seeing them won't make that go away. It'll just come up with another therapist that we like. And so... I think anybody, if you've ever been through this, if please let me know, or you know, if you've found it happening with more than one therapist, let us know in those comments. So it's not just me saying it; that other people can believe that that does happen. Um, you're not a weird stalker. Again, something's coming up for you. Let your therapist know you feel these urges and you don't like it, and it's bothering you, and you feel like a weird stalker. And then you can talk about it, but don't stop seeing them. That's not the best thing to do. Okay. <clears throat> Another person says. A follow-up. Many therapists have admitted to also looking up their clients. And my partner just said, why is it weird to look up the person who looks after you? Anything within proportion, though, as mentioned in my previous comment, there is a limit to what is healthy for you. Oh, okay. So they're saying there's a limit to what's healthy for you and that is something to look into. Now, I've, do I look up clients? I think maybe one because I, I usually you guys, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but like 99.9% of my patients were referrals from psychiatrists and treatment centers that I've worked with over the years. And that was just a safer way, especially as I put myself online to ensure that these were actual referrals that would be good fits for me and not, unfortunately, some people online think that I can like fix them. Like I have some magic power. I wish I did, but I don't, you know, and I'm just a regular therapist doing my best. And so if someone came out of nowhere uh, requesting to see me, I sometimes I looked up one person to see, and it just turned out that they, you know, had seen another. It turned out they were through a psychiatrist. They just weren't seeing them at the time, so no big deal. Um, but I don't really look up my patients too much, but they could, and that's fine, right? And it's fine to look up a therapist. I think the line is where, like this person's saying, the limits what's healthy. So the line really lies in what is okay like to look into before you start seeing them and then what turns into like I don't like to use the word stalking because that's not what I even necessarily think this is but but 
kind of stalking type behavior where we continually look them up. It's almost obsessive, right? It's a little bit different from like, hey, I just want to make sure they're, they can treat what I'm struggling with. They're, they have that specialty or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of the line. And now this final add-on says, the, this obsession is a feeling that I would identify as love when this occurs with someone else. I have this obsession with someone when I think about them and I feel very happy, but I've realized that this is not love. What's the difference between romantic love and obsession love? Oh, that's the end. So there is one more question after this. Sorry. And this is a little bit off of, off topic, but romantic love and obsession love. I mean, let's just talk about obsession because I feel like that will clear both of these up. If we're obsessed with someone, that means that we feel like we can't be without them and we can't imagine going on without them, right? It's like we can't get enough. And definitely at the beginning of a lot of relationships, there can be this kind of infatuation period where we feel that. But we should always feel free to do our own thing, to go out with our friends, to stay at home and not see them. We shouldn't feel like we're going to die if that doesn't happen. That's kind of more of obsession. And I wouldn't even call that obsession love. I'd call that like unhealthy obsession slash attachment um, because I don't think obsession is love. I think obsession is when we have kind of a void in ourselves and we're trying to fill it with someone else. Or it could be part of a manipulation. Maybe we struggle with narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. Um, or in romantic love is more... <clears throat> Yeah, it's not that. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to describe it. Romantic love is is getting to know each other. It's enjoying the, the company, enjoying the time, um, wanting to be around them, but being okay if you're not, it, feeling like they, they have the things maybe that you don't have. Like, for instance, I don't have much patience and Sean has a lot of patience. Um, that's just one example. So there can be a lot of wonderful things that you can find with a partner that's like a good fit for you. I feel like obsession is like, can't live without them, can't let them go. They can't do anything on their own. And romantic, healthy love is like, I love you for being you and I want to support that continuing. So yeah. Okay. Now there was another comment that says, yes, I do this too. And I have similarly placed my own boundaries on contact to make sure that I don't overstep the norms overtly. However, I also do this with my old therapist, rereading emails that um, she had sent and I've even listened to triggering recordings from our trauma work together just to hear her voice again. Should I tell my new therapist this and any tips on how to move on from a therapist, please? Again, back to that attachment, back to that inner child work. I really feel like that's where every where the work comes from for those of us who are struggling with this. Because again, I know it feels like it's about that therapist like specifically, but it's not. It's about what was triggered in you because of that relationship. And this obviously is bringing up some old wounds or old things that have happened, whether that's like a pattern from childhood, uh, either, you know, wanting, being neglected. So wanting someone to fill that void or feeling like, you know, a patient or our parent was uh, super emotionally abusive. So we're finding someone to validate the things that whatever it is, we're looking to fill that or to fix that with a therapist because that's the first safe place we've ever had. And so working through that and acknowledging that that's what's going on um, is going to be really helpful. And so letting your therapist now know that that was that that is happening and that you did feel like maybe you had some attachment to your old therapist is going to be helpful because again, the only way to get through it, somebody mentioned this in one of the comments that the that bear hunt you know that old it's like a little song as kids where you're like 
going on a bear hunt. You know, I, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And then they say, come up to a swamp or something. There's always something you come up to. And they're like, can't go around it. Can't go over it. Got to go through it. And that's therapy. You got to fucking go through it. Can't go around it. We've been trying. Guess where that got us? Feeling bad. Can't go over it, right? So going through it, I think, is really difficult, but definitely healing and letting your therapist know about it will start that through process. Let's move on to question number three. It says, hello, Katie, you've talked about the therapist not working harder than you as the uh, patient, but how do you know when you are reaching that point? It's not up to you. You don't have to know. The therapist should know. Um, I struggle really hard with opening up and I do a lot better when my therapist asks questions. Sometimes I wish that she would ask more and deeper. It seems to make it easier, but is that making them do more work than you? How far is too far? Great questions. Now, this is one of those parts of therapy that the therapist has to own, just like boundaries and communication around those things. Um, it's up to a therapist to 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 acknowledge this or to talk to you about it. Like uh, one of my patients, this is an example, this is years ago, he would always lie to me. Um, and he would say he was doing something and he wasn't. And I could never understand because he struggled with binge eating. I could never understand why his dietitian would always tell me he was, you know, gaining weight and struggling with the meal plan. And then he'd come in to see me and say everything was great. And then even though he was older, he still lived at home and his mom would come in every so often. And that's when I would realize how much he was lying to me. And every time we'd have these conversations where I'm like, by you lying to me, you're actually only hindering your own treatment. And I feel like I'm working harder than you because I'd gotten all these workbooks and copied all this stuff and gotten all this stuff ready for him and, you know, um, set him up with a dietitian and a psychiatrist and trying to get all this stuff going for him. And he would miss appointments and not do anything. And so I talked to him about it. And that's why it's the therapist's role. You don't, you shouldn't have to think about that. You have enough going on. You're working on your own things. It's up to the therapist to let you know. Now, you like it when your therapist asks uh, deeper questions or ask more questions, let them know that. Sometimes we're just not sure because I know I've felt this way where I like don't want to ask too many deep questions because I don't want to trigger you and I don't want to overwhelm you. And so letting your therapist know that you like that, that's your role. Letting your therapist know what you want to work on, what's hard for you and just being as honest and open as you can, that's really where you tow your line. The therapist tows the rest. So letting them know is going to be great and that's okay. How far is too far? You don't have to worry about that. It's up to the therapist and they should talk to you about it. So put it out of your brain. Now, there was a comment on this said, yes, I completely agree. Questions are so much easier. I get in my head and my therapist won't care. Oh, that my therapist won't care or want to know unless she's prompting something. That's not true. But I understand that, you know, we can have thoughts run away. Um but I worry that means that I'm not pushing hard enough. It just feels so hard to share. Also, I worry about not working hard enough when tackling self-harm or eating disorder behaviors of out of, outside of session. But my therapist doesn't seem to push this, just accepts it. Could you speak on what working hard looks like with tackling behaviors, please, Katie? Of course. Um, again, it's not up to you. You don't have to worry. Let your therapist know that questions make it easier. We're, we are queens and kings. Queens and kings. Wow, that's like a tongue twister of questions. We can come, we can ask you all sorts of stuff. Again, sometimes we just hold back because we want to give you the room to share what we want to share. I don't want to always run it um, if that's not what you want, you know. But if you let me know that that's what you want, I would always ask. And working to tackle eating disorder and self harm behaviors, you're as long as you're trying and letting us know what coping skills work and don't work and being honest about your process that again that's you towing your line that's you working hard enough i know we can be really judgmental on ourselves 
We can think we need to do more, work harder, blah, blah, all that stuff. But therapy doesn't, like we didn't come up with these issues overnight. Therapy is not going to fix them overnight. And no therapist is expecting you to like not do any of the things you used to do as soon as you enter therapy. Like, ooh, presto, fixo. That would be awesome. But that's just not how it works. We just have to be honest and try our best. There's going to be times when we slide back into old behaviors. Just let your therapist know. I don't know what happened, you know but I self-injured again. And then your therapist is going to be curious about that and ask questions. Well, what happened the week leading up? And we're trying to identify some triggers. So then we can come up with some coping skills to help you better manage, right? You can kind of see this like push-pull of it. And that is you and your therapist working together. I like to think of therapy as almost like sawing a log, but like a big log and you need someone else on the other side of that saw, right? You can't push and pull it yourself. And if a therapist is pushing and pulling themselves, those teeth aren't going to go into the wood anymore and you're not going to make any progress. And same goes for you if your therapist isn't helping you. But if you're communicating with them and you're letting them know what's going on, that's like you shouting across to tell them, I'm going to push. And they're like, I'm going to pull. And you go and you can get in this rhythm. Um, I don't know if you guys like that analogy, but it's just a visual, it's a visual that I like. Um, So just consider it that way. And our job as the patient is just to be as honest and open as possible and to try our best. It's never going to be perfect, but we need to communicate that it's not perfect. So your therapist can help you, you know, with more support, more coping skills, whatever we might need to get us feeling better. Does that make sense? I hope so. With that, let's move on to question number four. This question says, hi, Katie, how do I talk to my therapist about attachment? Good question. I get really easily attached and especially with my therapist because she's the first person who ever listened to me and seemed to care about me. But I tend to make myself worse, eating disorder or self-harm, whenever I make progress in therapy because I don't want to lose her. Interesting. I think I should bring this up. You should. But I feel very ashamed for being so needy and selfish. There are not enough therapists in my area and I'm probably taking up space uh, that someone else needs. Look at that, invalidating yourself over and over. If I talk to her, will she refer me out or terminate therapy? No. How do I bring this up when I feel so ashamed and awful? Will she think that I'm creepy and I want her to care for me? Thanks for all that you do. Of course, of course. Okay. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The way that you need to tell your therapist is honestly the way you wrote this. It's beautiful. It's perfect. I get really easily attached, especially with my therapist. You're Because all you need to tell her is you're the first person who's ever listened to me and seems to care about me. And I find myself almost not wanting to get better because I don't want to lose you. And I know that's unhealthy and I don't know where it's coming from. Help. That's all we need to say. I know we can get in our heads and think we have to say something perfectly or that we have to have all the answers, but you're bringing it to your therapist because you're like, I don't know why this is happening and I don't like it but it's definitely happening and I can't seem to stop it. And that's where we pick up all those pieces and try to make sense of it. It's like a puzzle, right? And we're trying to work on it together. And so by letting your therapist know, for also just know that this wanting to make yourself worse so you can stay in therapy, you're not the first one to do it and you won't be the last. I've had so many patients do this, especially because if you guys don't know, most of my patients struggle with eating disorder urges and self-harm urges. And they would want to it actually would toggle between my patients who would want to do everything perfectly, you know, get five gold stars and do everything I said. Um, 
and I would try to get them to not do homework fully. And that was hard to the other end where they'd want to continue being sick so that they could keep seeing me. But that's not a prerequisite for therapy. It's not like you have to be in terrible dire straits in order to keep seeing a therapist. You just have to keep benefiting from it. So it's honestly in your best interest to keep improving little by little as you can. Because I will tell you this, that my patients who didn't make any progress and kept themselves feeling really like, you know, kind of purposefully keeping themselves sick without me realizing it at first, have the potential to get referred out to a higher level of care because you're not improving, right? So in a way, it's like sabotaging, it's like self-sabotage behavior, but talk to your therapist, let them know, hey, I find myself wanting to do this. I know it's not healthy. You know, how do we work through this? And I think that motive, the fact that you're motivated to change it and you know that it's not healthy, but you, it's happening, all of that is going to, is going to, help your therapist help you and also let her know just how motivated you are to get better and in essence keep you in therapy so that you can um, continue working with her and I'd also it's interesting I'd let her know too that you feel like you're taking up space that someone else needs kind of like that invalidation or that like I'm not sick enough feeling like I have to be the worst out there um, because otherwise I haven't earned something or I'm not bad enough or good enough to to get this thing. Does that make sense? It's almost like you don't think that you're ever worthy. And I wonder if there's some like deeply held false belief about not being enough. And I, I wonder who's told you that or what what's happened in your life that made you think that. I'm very curious about that. Um, Yeah, which I'd assume kind of plays into this needing to be sick in order to warrant care versus just knowing that just being you, you can get care if you need it, you know? Um. Yeah. And it's not creepy that you want her to care for you. It's kind of part of, again, part of the therapeutic process, part of what we can talk through and work through. Um, yeah. I hope that helps put some language to how to bring that up to your therapist. Now, there was a comment on this, and I hope that this is related. Is it possible to talk about attachment before you get attached and stop it from happening? I get attached to older females, especially if they're my therapist, and I will go into inpatient, uh, un inpatient stay soon, and I really don't want this to happen again. It still hurts very much when I think about my last inpatient because I n- was never able to let them go. It also makes therapy harder for me because I can constantly, I constantly fight myself um, to keep the professional boundaries. How do I stop this from happening? Is there a trigger that quote unquote makes me attached? If there is one, how can I avoid it? Another great question. We can talk about attachment beforehand and try to do our best to mitigate it, but it most likely will still happen. But I think bringing it up right away is really important. And part of navigating that is going to be in your work with your therapist, because as it comes up, we need to talk about it. We need to try to figure out where it's coming from. We need to do a lot of inner child work. I know I keep harping on this, but I've been contemplating doing an inner child workshop. So stay tuned for that because I think I'm going to put that together. It'd just be like one day for two or three hours or something because I feel like a lot of us don't know what inner child work really looks like or what it means and why it's so important because it really can help us with all of this attachment stuff that comes up, especially with our therapists. Um, But letting them know ahead of time is good. I would definitely do that. Will it stop it from happening? Unfortunately, I don't think so. Um, It's good to know that you do get attached to a certain type. You can even tell the people at the treatment center that this is your type. Maybe they can give you a different type, like a younger female. Um, That's always interesting. And I think that that might be helpful too. And letting them know about your last inpatient stay. 
Again, I feel like the best thing we can do is share the most information that we have about our own process and what comes up for us because then we can get the help that we need for it. And maybe they'll have an attachment based uh, therapist there, a specialist uh, that can help you kind of work through that. But letting them know that that's what's happened before will be incredibly helpful. Unfortunately, I don't think it will stop it from happening, but it'll give us a leg up and we'll be hopefully one step ahead. Okay. And uh, yeah, there's not really a way to avoid it. It's more about navigating it and managing it and doing the things we need to to heal the reason that it exists, if that makes sense. Okay, let's move on to question number five. It says, hey, Katie, I hope you're having a great weekend. I was, thank you. We went to Corpus Christi and obviously uh, sunscreen was on my face, not on my arms. Um, my question is about the therapy, oh, about the therapy process. I'm always afraid that my therapist is going to refer me out to someone else. Hmm. I read into everything that she says and does, waiting for her to tell me that she can't treat me anymore. I I know that if there that were the case, she would be really open and we would talk about it, but I can't help the feeling like I'm going to be deserted. Interesting. Um, has this happened to you before? I know that I keep going back to this, but I think a lot of times we have these like patterns of behavior or things that we do or knee-jerk reactions, right? Uh, clearly, you're worried that you're going to be abandoned. There's this fear of abandonment or being deserted. Now, that's a huge um, component of borderline personality disorder and those of us with complex PTSD or childhood trauma um, because it's happened before, right? And we we fear it. We don't want to be abandoned. It can be really uh, debilitating, right? We can feel like I'm not going to survive if they leave me. And so, I honestly feel like the best thing for you to do is to bring this up with your therapist, to let your therapist know that you're always afraid you're going to be referred out and you don't know where this is coming from. Again, we don't have to have answers. We just have to have information. That's your your main like assignment in therapy is to give them the information. The things that you're embarrassed to say, you don't know how to say, you don't have answers to, things that are bothering you, that's all. That's what you have to bring up. Yes, it's uncomfortable. I know we hate it. We also kind of want to still keep up you know, appearances when we're in therapy. That's not the place for it because if we keep doing that, we'll keep feeling the way we feel. So let your therapist know, you know, I'm always afraid I'm going to be deserted. I always am afraid you're going to refer me out. I don't know if this has to do with childhood or something, but it's been driving me crazy. Um, yeah. And again, my like therapist gut tells me, I'd be curious about your relationship with your parents. I'd be curious about uh, past romantic relationships because I'm kind of curious where this comes from. Why do you think that you're going to be deserted? When when have you been deserted before in the past? You know, And a lot of it com- probably comes from a past wound in some respects. And once we can talk that through and heal that wound, hopefully this urge will go away. Now, there was a comment on this that says, will our therapist refer us out if we tell them that we don't like what they said or their opinion on a specific subject? I already asked you in another episode about my um, sexual abuse and that my therapist said it was not that bad. Yeah, and I probably said I was a shitty therapist. And it doesn't seem like I got any psychological damage from it. I thought about switching therapists like you suggested. Okay, good. I did say that. But I just like him a lot, except for what he said about that one subject. I want to tell him, but I'm afraid he'll abandon or desert me once I say that I don't agree with his knowledge. Who am I to think that I'm in the position of telling him that he's wrong? He's obviously the one with the experience and degree, so I'm not an expert in that field that he's in, right? Do you think he'll leave me if I tell him that I feel like he is wrong? Now, 
a good therapist or a good psychologist, any good mental health professional would not abandon you, would not leave you, wouldn't be upset. It's actually helpful for us to know that something we said was hurtful or harmful or upsetting in some way so that we don't keep making that mistake. Because I would hope that he would meant to say that as a way of being like, look how strong you are and resilient, you know, like as a compliment, maybe. Again, I think it was shitty therapizing and I really kind of want to tell that guy so but um since you really like him except for that then i think you know one of our only other options is to tell him that we didn't like that he said that and that it was hurtful again a good therapist or good mental health professional is not going to refer you out not going to leave you i'm questionable on this dude whether he's good at his job or not so i don't know because people have egos and people are assholes and therapists are people so we can be that way too so i don't know if how he'll react again because i don't i know you like him but i i don't (laughs) i don't like that he said that to you i think that's really invalidating really harmful i can't i just can't believe he said stuff like that um so i would definitely bring it up but and I, if he's good at his job, like you, you seem to like him. So let's trust your gut. You think he's good. Then he will not leave you and he will not desert you. He will seek to understand. And again, therapy is supposed to be a safe place to talk about stuff like that. And for, it is hard as a therapist. I'll tell you this, like having a patient shout at you or get angry about something is difficult because the human reaction is to again, react, but we're trained to not and it feels weird. And when you first do it a couple of times as a therapist, you're like, well, that was uncomfortable. But as you kind of get used to it, you're like, I can be non-reactive. It's okay. I can sit here, let you get it out and then talk through it. Um, and I'd assume he'd be the same. And not, th- I'm not saying that you're going to yell at him, but just telling him that, you know, you didn't like that is, it's important for you to do it. Okay. And I don't think he's going to leave you if he's as good as you say he is. Now, Another person says, I struggle with this too, but my therapist actually dropped me once. At the end, it was a misunderstanding, but those two months broke my trust in her and I am careful with everything I say to her so that she doesn't get angry and leave me again. She wanted me to promise that she will, oh, that I will never self-harm again or else I'm not ready to be treated. What? How am I able to promise something for the rest of my life? I offered her a one, one month and told her that that's the longest that I can think of right now. After that time, we'll talk again. Well, she said I wasn't allowed to come back until I would be sure. This lady sounds like an asshole and she doesn't know what she's doing. I really don't like her at all. How can you tell someone to promise something for the rest of their life? Does she not understand self-injury? Jesus Christ, these people, I tell you what. Um, Throat punches all around. Am I right? Okay, um, I'm back in and I told her that I would need time to trust her again. Communication check. I'm proud of you for saying that. After I trusted her again a little, she told me that she would only see me once a month. What? We need to get you in to see somebody else. And I would have group therapy twice a month. It is not because she doesn't have the time. It's also not because of my insurance. And it's definitely not because I can manage so well because I'm barely able to keep living at the moment. Now my trust is broken again. I don't understand her actions. If someone can offer some insider advice, that'd be greatly appreciated. I think we need to find you someone better she sounds pretty shitty. And I know we probably think because we liked her at the beginning, you know, um, that we like want to keep seeing her, but I'm, I'm here to tell you she's not good at her job. You can't just drop someone or force someone to promise. Like think of it this way. Anybody who understands self-injury treats it the same way as we do addiction or eating disorders. You think we can just all of a sudden snap our fingers and make a promise. We're never going to do it again. And if we do, we know we're just lying because we can't see that far in the future. We need to think about today, like 
my patients, it's usually day to day, then week to week. And then we just take it as we can and just check in all the time on the coping skills and how we're doing. And she just sounds really bad at her job, or at least when it comes to eat, to self-injury, she doesn't understand. And I find that very frustrating. And I feel like you can do better and we can find you someone who actually gets what you're going through and can assist you in the way that you need. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it hard to see somebody new? Of course. But she's not, the reason your trust is broken, she doesn't seem committed to your treatment and that's not okay. We need to at least have that consistency or that reliability feeling like they're there to work with us and they can meet us where we're at. Right. And I'm sorry, that sucks. But what an asshole. That lady pisses me off. Okay. Let's move on to question number six. This question says, hey, Katie. So I just recently started therapy. And when I say recently, I mean like tomorrow's my fourth appointment. Now, I was anxious before my first appointment, but I've been even more anxious for the appointments since then. Is that normal? It It's kind of normal. I guess I have a couple questions. So before your first few appointments, it's very normal to be anxious, especially if we struggle talking in front of people or we are having a tough time talking about what we need to work on and all that stuff. We can be anxious and it can be, we can be a little nervous. We can even feel I've had patients tell me that they feel like extra emotional the day of therapy, almost like they know they're going in to see me. And so it's like their body like builds up for it. Um, All that's normal. Um, But what I want you to kind of check in with, this would be your like to answer your question. Do you feel like the anxiety, like the therapy is actually causing it to get worse? Have you told your new therapist about it? So that's my first chunk of questions. And like, depending on your answer, because then I think we have to tell them about it if we haven't. And if we have, I hope that they're giving us some ways to cope or some skills to use outside of session and maybe a little bit of homework in some way, like whether it's like using e-moods tracker or, you know, writing out a couple things we're grateful for, or even just doing a full body shake or checking in on our sleep and noting how much we're getting, blah, blah, blah. There'd be a lot of different things that they have us do. Um, and that's really, that's where your answer comes from. Or, you know, have we told them? Have they offered tools? Do we think that it's anything that they're doing? Like, is it something about this therapist? Like maybe there's a lot of traffic getting to their office or it's hard to park or just talking to someone is difficult because we have social anxiety. Like consider what it is and where it's coming from and let your therapist know as much as you can. But again, like I've said before in the, like in other podcasts, if we're going to the therapist, you know, week after week after week, and we don't feel like we're getting any better. In fact, we only feel like we're getting worse. We have to tell them about this and consider whether it's, you know, the therapist, like it's not a good fit. If we don't feel connected, we don't feel like they can help us. They don't, we don't feel like they get us, whatever. It could be that, or it could be, you know, we need a different specialist because they don't really have the tools that we need or the resources, or is it on us? Are we not getting better because we're not doing our homework, not showing up on time, not participating in therapy? Just be curious about this process. Ask yourself a couple of those questions, check in, tell your therapist that this is happening and the answer will reveal itself. Okay. Now, there was a comment. I think it's just one comment it looks like on this. It says, I'm sometimes struggling with severe fear or stress before a therapy session. Sometimes I'm fine and calm and sometimes the complete opposite. So you're not the only one with anxiety before a session, but I've been writing down what goes through my mind before therapy and it can be helpful. I'm stressed. So this is 
kind of getting into my answer. I'm stressed because I don't know what to expect. I have thoughts and questions in my head. Like, I don't know which question she's going to ask, what to say if she's asking this. And I don't know if we'll talk about triggers and how I'll react. My therapist gave me some tips, which are helpful and generalize with generalized anxiety, but I'm still stressing before sessions. Katie, do you have some thoughts or tips about this? Yes. And I love that you shared what was working for you. That's why I put all of this in this uh, in the question, because I think everyone can benefit. Now, I think sometimes uh, something that I've done with my patients, and you might want to ask your therapist about this, is to tell you a little bit about what's going to go what's going to happen in the session. And I know that that sounds kind of weird or silly, but until we get more comfortable and we feel a little less anxious or we maybe get medication on board or whatever to manage our anxiety, I would tell my patients what I wanted to cover that day and I'd ask them if that was okay. And then we would also check in at the beginning, do some relaxation techniques, whether that's breathing, whether that's uh, a full body shake, whether that's progressive muscle relaxation, or we just listen to some kind of music or talk about something non-triggering. There's a ton of different ways we can kind of calm. I also always kept thinking putty in my office, which is like silly putty, but for therapy, it's like it has glitter and it. it can be really fun and cool. Um, so those are just some things that I do and you can bring your own to session. Um, those full body shakes you can do on your own. Like let's say you go into the bathroom before you go into session, you shake in there and you shake after, that can help too. And coming up with some coping skills that can work for you. I would check out my video 25 coping skills and even check the comments for others. Put some, write some things down that you think might work for you. What are some of the ones that you think could help in the moment? Um, And let's have those things available. I really think that that can help you manage. And then some thought stopping techniques I think could also help if we find our brain like ruminating and running away with itself, it's like we keep throwing coal in the train. It's like going faster, 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 right? This thought train to chaos. Thought stopping techniques are things like same stop, 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 either out loud or in our head, uh, distracting ourselves with something else, or even uh, remembering, like taking ourselves through like a, a old favorite memory. So think back to like your favorite day as a kid or your favorite vacation you ever took or like a moment in time where maybe like you're floating in a pool and it's a hot summer day or I don't know, the day you got your puppy or your kitty or something, you know, think back to those favorite memories and recall them in as much detail as possible. That can stop a thought too. Uh, We find that emotional attachment to a thought is much more effective at stopping that than just, you know, trying to distract yourself. So those are just some more tips. Okay. And thank you for sharing what worked for you. That's really helpful. And moving on, I miscounted to our final question. Question number seven says, hi, Katie, do you have any recommendations for how we should decide and prioritize which topics to discuss in therapy? My therapist uses a psychodynamic approach. And although I find it helpful, it does mean that I have to guide which topics we cover each session. I struggle to find the balance between working through past trauma, present issues and anxieties about the future. Oddly, having so much to cover sometimes makes me feel stuck and unable to choose what to talk about at all. Now, I love this question. And as a therapist, it's it's a tricky thing. And I honestly would encourage you to bring this up with your therapist. And then I'll walk you through kind of my own thought process and how I put these together for my patients. So bring this up with your therapist and say like, you know, I have a lot of shit going on. I got past shit, current shit, future shit. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Again, we don't have to have any answers or ways to fix it. We just need to know what's bugging us. So that's what's bugging you. Tell your therapist that's what's bugging you. Now, as a therapist, I 
I take a, diff- a bunch of different approaches with this, but the main thing is breaking it into, so we have past, present, future, right? You're talking about these three different buckets. Now, a lot of the work that I do has to do with past because past becomes present and future if we don't work on it. So I do kind of like a two-thirds approach of past. So I focus on the past stuff two-thirds of the time. Now, we can do that depending on what my patient kind of wants and how deep that work is. We can do that work you know, for two sessions and then do one of uh, more present or future, right? And then go back to two more of that. We can do it that way, or we can do two thirds of a session. So let's say they're 50 minute sessions, right? Two thirds of that would be spent working on the past. And then the last third would be like coping skills for today or something like that. And so, but if, if the future stuff is what's bugging us most, you know, if we have a lot of anxiety, then it's definitely future based. And we can talk about that and work on some tools to bring you back. But that's technically how I work on it. But again, it's a conversation with my patient and we would try out, frankly, what I think is going to be best. And then they can tell me, hey, this is working or hey, this isn't working and go from there because we can always alter our path, right? The course of therapy isn't like carved into stone and unchangeable. It's something that we're constantly working on. And as long as I know your goals, so it might be like a conversation you have with your therapist about creating a treatment plan. Like these are my goals and I want to work towards these. How do I get there with all this stuff going on? I also, just as another option of something that you can do with another patient of mine who definitely had a lot of anxiety, um, at the beginning of every session, we would kind of do what in my mind was like containment, where I would just let her dump all the stuff that was going on. And around 10, 15 minutes in, I'd say, okay, I hear you. That's what's happening. Let's uh, talk a little bit about some things that we can do this week. I'm going to write down some of your homework for this. And then I want to move on to this topic because that's where we left off last week. So it's kind of this containment. Come in, dump what's happening. We'll, we'll offer some support and some homework that we'll follow up with later. But now let's move into the meat of what we're working on. Because otherwise, I find, especially my anxious patients, they can talk the whole session about what's going on today right now because they feel overwhelmed and things are so anxiety producing and then we'll never get anywhere. And so part of it as a therapist is like containing yet validating and then moving into the real meat of it. You know, again, back to what I my belief is, especially your psychodynamic uh, therapist is going to believe this too what was happened in our past is going to become our present and our future if we don't figure it out and heal from it, right? We're just going to keep repeating it. That's unfortunately, you know, what our brain does because it tries to get another outcome going. And if we don't work on it, then it'll keep doing it. So anyways, um, that's kind of how we prioritize. And obviously, if you have a crisis, crisis overrides everything. So if like we have a death in the family or we have a, a big major change, like a job change, we're moving, um, a divorce, uh, we're having a baby, feeling suicidal, anything that comes up like that, that's a crisis, we're going to address that first. And that will always be a priority. But the other stuff, we can move it around and we can try to figure out what feels best for you. But let your therapist know um and know that you can always shift it, but just try like maybe even offer the one that I mentioned and say, Hey, I'd like to do it this way. Can we keep to that format for a while to see if that helps? And then be honest with yourself. Is it helping or no? And yeah, keep me posted. Okay. Now there was a comment on this. It says, I have a similar question. How do we know if going down to one session a week was the right choice? 
I also struggle to prioritize past trauma or present issues and future anxieties um, are a whole other category. I'm managing okay during the week without feeling the need to contact my therapist. So I think I think that that's a good sign. Yeah, that can be a good sign. I feel like when we lower our sessions, what we're looking for is, are we continuing to feel good and better, like improving? Or are we starting to feel worse? And if we're starting to feel worse and like we're like grasping at straws and barely hanging on, then, you know, we're going to need more Then that's not enough. But if we feel like we're doing well and we keep improving, then that change was good. And it sounds like for you, it was a good sign. And so far, so good. And just take it, you know, a week or two at a time and just see how you're doing. Now, the final question and add on to this says, yes, this, how do you know when you should start with more current trauma or troubles or start with the stuff in the past? Again, kind of going back to what what my beliefs are is if we've dealt with our current crisis, because if we're not safe or we're not, you know, we're dealing with a lot of different things right now, then we're going to have to focus on that. But I really think that we have to understand the stuff in the past and work through that. Otherwise, we're doomed to repeat it. And so that's really how I do it is I, I, I definitely prioritize the past stuff more, not 100%, but more than the current um, stuff for the future stuff. And that hope, you know, hopefully by changing our behaviors and processing that through, it's like a... I guess the best way I can describe it is like, again, that two thirds, because that one third of the like current stuff is going to be like homework that you do now, things that you're doing today, right? That's very current. While it applies to the past, it kind of applies to the future or to the current, the present and the future. And so in a way, by prioritizing what the past situations, trying to ensure they don't repeat themselves, we're also allowing and giving ourselves some tools and techniques and uh, behavioral changes we can do in the present that'll like inadvertently help us now. Does that make sense? It's like by working on the past, we're also working on all of it. And that's why I think I prioritize that so heavily. Um, So yeah, so I would talk to your therapist, let them know. I don't really know, you know, where to start, but I feel like I kind of need to start in the past, but I have current stuff going on too. And you could even mention like, can we spend most of our time in the past, but I really need some stuff to help me today. I think sometimes we forget that we can ask our therapists for homework. We can ask them for workbooks. We can ask them for other support so that we don't feel like we're stuck alone with it because we're never alone with it. That's why we're in therapy to get extra insight and advice. It's okay to just ask them straight up for it. Okay. Okay. I hope you found this helpful. Again, thank you so much for sharing this podcast, for giving it good reviews, telling friends about it, all that good stuff. Thank you for sending in your questions. I hope that my answers are helpful. And let me know if you like these theme kind of podcast episodes, because it does help with the questions and answers. And it does help, you know, let you know which ones to, to select and listen to and hopefully, you know, makes it more informational and helpful for each and every one of you. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll see you next time. Bye about your therapist or vent about your work you can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt you can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau inquire all those questions you've always